So we had six days of rain and the ice and snow from the previous winter had been melting. So even little streams were torrents just coming through. And he crossed first and made it across and was telling me, hey, watch out for this rock because it's slick. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. i got a little confession to make. Uh, this episode was recorded <laughs> quite a while ago, but I forgot that I recorded it. Uh, Nick, if you're listening, I'm very sorry, uh, but I had you on the show, I, or I interviewed you a while ago, earlier in the year, and I must have never taken the step to put you on the calendar after I record, which is what I typically do, but I must have been busy or had another interview right away, which happens pretty often, and uh, did not put your name for the, for one of the upcoming slots. So I was just going through some of my cards where I keep my interviews and noticed this this interview that I recorded and never published, and I thought, oh my gosh, this was such a cool story. How could I have overlooked it? But it was, it's great timing because Nick um, has recently completed the triple crown of through hiking but he is posting delayed posting his journey on instagram so it's a great time to be following him along um yes he does wear a kilt which you saw in the interview and we're going to be talking about that quite a bit but we talk about all kinds of things nick is a great storyteller and uh i you know even though it's not through hiking season for a lot of the trails we're talking about it's a great time of year to be daydreaming and a great time of year to be planning what you're going to be doing once it warms up or, you know, going down south, down here, come down here to Florida and do the Florida Trail, stuff like that is always open, especially this time of year. It's feeling wonderful down here right now. And another reason it's a good time to be listening to this episode for this time of year is uh, is a pretty cool promotion we're doing that we're going to be playing an ad for in just a little bit. Uh, be listening for that from our new sponsor, Crux Academy. Pretty cool platform that I'm very excited about. And so uh, listen for the promotion they're doing with us somewhere in the episode. All right, let's go ahead and jump in. Today we got a really, really interesting episode. I'm not sure the turns and twists it might take, uh, but Nick Cornett, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, yeah. So so you were talking a little bit about the weather before we hit record, I, but I didn't ask, where are you coming from today? Um, so right now I'm in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, hanging out in, in between the uh, through hiking season, as it were. Okay, cool. So, so is that home for you then, Knoxville? Um, I've got family in Knoxville, so uh, before I started through hiking, home was Los Angeles, and then I've been on the road for three years, so it's just a matter of bouncing between. So I guess this is as close to home as I can get right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so before before through hiking, before Los Angeles, where where did you grow up, and what did you grow up doing, athletic wise or adventure wise? Were you were you into a family that did this kind of stuff, or did you discover it on your own? Well, so I was a military brat. So I was born overseas. I've lived all over the country, all over the world. Growing up, I did high school sports, I did football and wrestling, 
Uh, I ran track through shot put. I was super active as much as I could have been and then started hiking in high school too. And then, yeah, my, my family does outdoor stuff, but nothing quite as extreme as, uh, you know, hiking 10,000 miles in three years. <laughs> Jeez, no kidding. Yeah. Not a lot of people do stuff like that. So, so being in the military or you being a military brat, you got, you got to see a lot of different places and explore a lot of places. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Did my eight years service and got to go around the world a couple times moved across country more times than I can count right now, <laughs> but I've definitely, I've seen my share for sure. Thanks. So how did, how did the through hiking start coming up? They're definitely different than military life. Maybe it's not, I don't know. Um, it's actually got a lot of similarities to it, but, um, I read a walk in the woods a long time ago. Before that I had read, uh, the Smoky mountain guide to the Appalachian trail. And like, I've always wanted to hike the, uh, the AT, the Appalachian Trail. And uh, a couple years ago, I said, you know what? Fine, I'm just going to go do it. And I left my job as a filmmaker. Well, sort of. I left the professional side of filmmaking and went into the YouTube side of filmmaking. Told a bunch of people that I was leaving. And I had some amazing producers and an awesome editor jump on and say, you know what? We're going we're gonna to help you out. So just shoot pictures and video. And that's how uh, I'm able to do what I am now. I'm shooting video and pictures while hiking these different through hikes. So that way I can put things up on different platforms, uh, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, all that stuff. The transition between acting and cinematography and directing in Los Angeles to being full-time content creator on trail is a very different format for sure. And you don't get to go home and sleep every night. You just got to carry it with you and set up wherever you set up. <laughs> the difference between the two is now I get to hike every day and stay in shape and have fun and see different parts of the world instead of staying in one location to do the same basic thing. Yeah, no kidding. Wow, dude, that's that's really interesting. You know, that's... There's, oh gosh, it's so hard to capture an adventure, like decide what to capture, how to tell the story. Um, I'm sure it's the same way with film, just like, all right, how are we going to do this? What does it, you know, everything from camera angles to, to lighting to, you know, the, the, the tone, I, I don't even know the lingo, but it, there's so many decisions to make. I'm sure it can be overwhelming on top of trying to hike all those miles. Jeez, that's tough. Oh yeah. And on both sides of the coin, there's a ton of preparation, a ton of planning. Uh, you can do it alone, but it's a lot easier if you do it with more people, <laughs> you know. And when it comes to like hiking and trying to tell a story, it gets a little more difficult when you're trying to do longer mileage, finishing by certain deadlines, when you're dealing with fires and, you know, weather and people, a pandemic and just you know, all the logistics that go into filmmaking plus logistics of doing a thrill through hike all together at one. Jeez. And not only that, um, something that you're kind of known for and you're unique. We haven't even mentioned it yet is that, uh, you, you don't, you don't, you don't wear what a lot of normal through hikers wear. You wear a kilt. Tell us about that. Yeah, no, I, uh, wear a kilt every day. <laughs> so, um, in 2016, I went to the Scottish Highland Festival and I was given a kilt to wear, so I decided, you know what, fine, cool, I will 
absolutely do it. It was my family tartan. I wore it to the Highland Festival, had a great time for the weekend, came home and threw away all my pants. And I've only been wearing kilts since then. All right, man. You got to tell us, like, why, why? What? What is it about the kilt? How did it feel? What gave you the confidence, man? That's That's the thing for me. So it's one of those things that guys that wear kilts, they get it. You there's a a machismo, a given comfort that you get once you're wearing a kilt for long enough that you know people come up it and start conversations with you just because you're wearing a kilt. They're like that guy's interesting, obviously. Let me talk to him. Right. And it's one of those things where if you see somebody wearing a kilt, you're like, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to follow that guy because he's about to do something cool." <laughs> so <laughs> Which is usually the case, and I recommend if you see somebody wearing a kilt, go ask them who they are and what they're about to do because they're probably doing something interesting. Man, I love it. I'll be honest. I know a few people that wear kilts, and they're all they all kind of obviously march to the beat of their own drum, and they're very interesting people. And if I did see them in a crowd, I'd I'd have to be like, whoa, w- w- why? Tell tell us about when the kilt came in in conjunction with through hiking did one come before the other or did they come together for you um for me the kilt came first but um the hiking kilts that i wore i got as i was leaving because there's different fabrics for different occasions i've got kilts that weigh eight pounds because they're super heavy for certain weather and i've got super ultralight kilts but it was one of those it's it saves me weight in my backpack because I don't have to carry extra things like uh, extra pair of pants or shorts or underwear. There's, I don't have to wear tights or anything underneath. It's one of those things that it makes the hiking experience better for me. I know it's not for everybody, but I think everyone should wear a kilt at least for a day on trail and see how it works for them. Because when you get out there and you're walking, you'll chafe a little bit, but that's what they make body glide for. And you'll find that it's cleaner, it's easier to take care of, you don't sweat as much, and when it's cold, you're actually warmer, depending on the fabric you're using. Mm-hmm. How is that possible? It's like it's like having a blanket on, I guess. Right, so uh, anatomy and physiology. When your body needs to regulate temperature, it uses your femoral arteries the most, and if they're touching, they can regulate temperature a lot better than if you have them separated by fabric. It definitely makes sense. So, so you were wearing the kilt. You were getting used to that years before you started through hiking. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us about the idea of wanting to quit your job. You're wearing a kilt through all this, of course. Wanting to quit your job in, in L.A. And, and hike the Appalachian Trail. How long of a process was it to, to decide to do that? And then was it just immediately like, oh, yeah, obviously I'm going to wear a kilt during this? Well, um, so... Yes. <laughs> a lot of long stories in there. Yeah, and yeah, most of it will be in right my there. book. But um, when I was leaving California, I had a lot of major negative life changes that happened all at once. And because of that, I went to the VA, got into a therapy program and the therapist said, you know what you need to do? You need to go hiking. Just just go for a week, two weeks, whatever. And I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So I told them what I was going to do. And they're like, that sounds intense but brilliant so have fun and <laughs> i said you know what cool i'm gonna do this sold off everything i had except for six boxes of stuff that i still keep and got rid of the cars houses everything to go hike and 
by doing that, got rid of all my debts, by getting rid of all the things that I was paying for. And my only bills are ones that I choose to have, like cell phone, some streaming services. It's like, okay, now that I have all this in play, I can go do these hikes. And the kilt, it's part of my brand now. <laughs> People see me in public and go, hey, you're the kilt guy. It's like, yeah, close. <laughs> you can't avoid it, I'm sure. You can't avoid it. Wow, that is, I mean, that's a major life change. Good on your therapist, too, to, to recommend that. That's That's the kind of... That's the kind of advice I'm looking for in life, you know, from from the folks around me. That's incredible. So it was the negative life changes that you said that kind of spurred this on. What did it feel like for you to to drastically change your life so much? You know, going from a job, houses, build, normal bills, uh, frankly, normal debt, and trading that off for essentially the unknown in a in a path through the woods. Well, um, so it was kind of like a wonderful analogy for it. I was being born again. Like you go through a really painful experience and then you come out the other side and it's just light and everything was better. It went from being this rat race of I need to have all these things and I need to make everyone else happy. And then I decided, you know what, I'm going to go do this. And it's something that I enjoy. And because I was able to do that, now I'm in a position of I'm happy all the time. I don't have anywhere near as much stress and I'm not on somebody else's schedule. I get to do what I need to do when I need to do it. And on the same token, I can do what I want when I want to do it. What did you fear about that new lifestyle or, or this new challenge of, of doing starting out your new life of doing the Appalachian Trail? Um, I guess the normal fear that most everybody feels when they start a through hike is, um, I've got this monumental task, and am I going to be able to do it? When it came to the AT, there's a time limit. You have up until a certain day every year to finish because of weather, and they shut down the finish line up at Baxter State Park in Maine. Unless you're one of those weird people that goes southbound, which we love and support them too. But <laughs> <laughs> I just had a friend finish southbound uh, last year, and so, yeah, he'll be listening to this. He's weird. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's hardcore. That is amazing. I did the southbound on the Continental Divide Trail, and southbound hikes versus northbound hikes are completely different. So um, kudos to him. That's crazy. <laughs> so you started off the AT. You had the, the normal challenges, the normal fears. You sold off all your stuff, your old life. Um, assume you got your gear together. You had your kilt ready to go. Take us through... Just maybe the first, you know, few weeks or so of the AT. There's so many, and I always want to like bring up the same experiences of people. Like, what did it feel like starting out? Because there's so many people that listen to this show that listen because they have in their mind they want to do something. They're you with your job, you know, with all those things in place, wondering what that other side is like. So I always want to, you know, learn from the people that have actually gone through it, what it was like for them. Let's take a quick message break. So if you listen to this show, chances are you're already a big fan of, of learning about new sports and wanting to try new things, which is great. You know, there's nothing wrong with daydreaming or reminiscing about past trips. Uh, but in order to really have these new experiences, you've got to have the know-how as well. You've got to be learning about these, these new sports. 
That's why I'm excited to be telling you about Crux Academy. They make digital courses taught by world-class athletes, huge names in the outdoor industry, um, all in an effort to uh, teach you a new skill or teach you a new uh, a new sport. So, you know, think of things like bouldering, backcountry skiing, fly fishing, even adventure planning itself. They're all very, very much in depth. Th- think of a college-level course on an adventure sport. And the cool thing is, all throughout 2022, they're going to be adding new courses every single month, which makes an amazing gift idea. So if, if you need a good gift this year, like for Christmas, for, you know, coming up, and, and you don't want to fill somebody's life with just more crap or stuff they're never going to use, consider getting them a subscription. I've actually become a huge fan of gifting people subscriptions, you know, whether it's on a music app or something that comes in the mail every month that they can, you know, consume uh, and it doesn't just clutter their life. I've been, and, and I love getting subscriptions now. So if, if you think this is a good idea for some an adventure lover in your life or somebody that you want to adventure with, definitely consider getting them Crux Academy. Uh, you can get a year-long subscription. Get this. this is They're actually doing this deal specific for our listeners, a buy one, get one subscription. So you can get a subscription to all these courses for an entire year, unlimited access, and you can gift a subscription to someone else for the price of one subscription. So for literally, you know, like it's like 10 bucks a month, you can gift get all this access yourself and then give it to someone else. Uh, and so if it's somebody you want to learn a new sport with and you do it together, say you want to, you know, add fly fishing to your backpacking, um, abilities, you could do that together. Then you could go fly fishing this summer. That's a, that's an amazing way to utilize this platform. So if you think this would be a good idea for you, or you want to see what's on there, uh, go to crux.academy slash ASP. I really encourage you to check it out. They're doing us a huge deal here, so I'm pretty excited to be partnering with them. And again, that's crux.academy slash ASP. All right, let's go ahead and get back into Nick's story. Okay, so um, leading up to the hike, we're going to backtrack just a little bit. Um, the six months up until the day before I left, um, I was not allowed to walk more than a mile a day because I was having uh, kidney issues and I wasn't allowed to walk that far. So I was basically going from couch to trail and there's people out there that have done it. Talk to your doctor first, of course. But when I stepped on trail, I hadn't worked out in almost a year because of things that were going on with me. So some of the best advice that I was given was start slow, finish strong. So the furthest I went for the first two weeks was 10 miles in a day, which for the Appalachian Trail starting out, that's actually pretty far. But you're doing six-mile days, eight-mile days, building up to 10. And then by the time you're in Virginia, you're doing 20-mile days, 25-mile days. When I got into Vermont, I was able to do 30-mile days because those first few weeks, I was going slow. And I was figuring out what gear I needed. I sent home a ton of weight when I first got to the first town, which is Helen, Georgia. So there's so many things that you can do to set yourself up for success, which the number one is asking people that have already done it hey, what did you have at the end versus what you had at the beginning? And what did you do to start out? And how did you finish? I mean, you, you feel like you have to be absolutely tuned in for something like this to, to, be, to work. But really, it sounds like you had everything, a lot of things working against you. You just went out there <laughs> and started and did it and learned every day a little bit, getting just a little bit better every day. That's, that's something anybody can do. Oh, yeah. And not just with hiking either. That's life. 
because I'm still learning every single day. I'm two thirds of the way through this triple crown and I'm still learning stuff about hiking and what I can and can't do. So you get out there and you start learning, start shedding some weight. Uh, your kilt is just gracefully moving about with you. Were, were you getting a lot of attention for that? And, and how many people, if you could put a percentage, were also wearing kilts? Was it like half a percent? Nobody? Did you see any <laughs> um, other other souls like yourself out there wearing kilts? So in 5,000 miles, I've run into three other people wearing kilts hiking. Oh, wow. Um, as through hikers. Day hikers and stuff, I've seen a handful. But when it comes to through hikers, I've seen three. And then when it comes to me wearing it, there's usually like the same jokes come out and there's always a few same comments. But when it comes to the, the through hiking community, you can't judge somebody based on what they wear anyway, because once you get into town, you look completely different than what you're wearing on trail. And yes, I still wear a kilt in town, but when I'm out hiking and you see me in a kilt, I look disgusting because when you're hiking, you just get gross. And then once I'm in town, I look, you know, distinguished because that's what kilts do. They make you look distinguished, not weird. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's the whole point behind it, right? No, that's, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> getting through the AT, what, what, you know, going back to just the experience, um, mm -hmm. just as a person you're having going from, you know, from this old life, was it fulfilling? Well, so it was fulfilling. The actual experience going from, Georgia to Maine and getting all the way to the end and touching the finish line after doing this thing that not very many people do anyway, Right. <laughs> but it, it's from beginning to end. It's a kick in the teeth. It's hard and you get finished and it's fulfilling for me. I was still going through a lot in my head because I was processing an entire basically lifetime before that <laughs> getting on this trail and by the time I had reached the end, I had calmed down a lot and I was, I had a clear mind. I knew what I wanted and I knew where I wanted to go. So that way, when it came to the next trail, I started out ready to just be open-minded to enjoy the experience of itself, which was this year, the CDT. So when it comes to a through hike, if you go into it thinking, oh, it's just going to be hard the whole time. Yeah, that's fine. But go into it open-minded and you can go into just like any experience and make it into what you want it to be and have fulfilling every day as opposed to just when you finish. That There's a lot of adages with through hiking and life comparisons where people say, you know, it's every step of the way. It's like it is because you can stop any moment or you can be taken off trail any second. So you might as well enjoy every second, not just when you finish. Mm, you know, that's true. We, we, we really only talk to people that, that finish their through hikes on this show. It doesn't take into consideration the thousands that get pulled off for whatever reason. And uh, forget about that. There, You might not be out there as long as you think you will. So you should enjoy it. You might not be here on earth as long as you think you will. You need to enjoy today. You never know what's going to happen. Tell us a story about being on the AT, uh, just something that you really enjoyed, something that sticks out as uh, just a positive thing that happened that that people could relate to. Well, um, the first week I was on trail, I met some of my new lifetime best friends. We hiked together a lot last year and this year. It, it's one of those, you're like-minded people in the same area from different walks of life, and then you meet, you start talking, 
you hang out with each other long enough that you just become great friends and you know you would give your shirt for them and vice versa so i met uh, my buddy crash and my buddy zach squatch on trail and there's so many more that i've met last year and this year but you know within a week finding like-minded individuals and just start hiking through was it immediately clear that you wanted to do the rest the other two of the triple crown uh or did it take time to get to that point like this is possible and this is something i want to do um so even before i left for the at i had already committed to do the triple crown Holy <laughs> which <cow. laughs> i know there's um so i've got uh, an amazing team at the wandering kiltsman in order to get people on board with supporting whether it be giving us gear or joining patreon or any of the other facets of being able to just contribute to this adventure um it's like hey i'm a goofy guy i wear a kilt i'm doing this adventure i'm going to be hiking ten thousand miles in three years and that that number usually makes people go okay tell me more and it's like okay i'm hiking the appalachian trail continental divide and the pacific crest trail i'm doing it in a kilt i'm carrying a guitar now i'm hiking with a dog (laughs) and we're going to be doing this monumental thing that less than a thousand people have done in history period so it's it's a crazy crazy fun time <laughs> no kidding holy cow man i you know i saw the guitar but i didn't know you were carrying it the whole time you're, you're carrying that on your back yeah um so the great thing about through hiking is that if you're carrying something you have to use it so i've actually gotten pretty decent at a guitar that's a great point i i, I come from a bike packing and ground and uh you can just throw all kinds of stuff in the kayaker on the bike that you don't really ever need or use. It's like a vehicle, you know, mm-hmm. it's not nearly as difficult to carry a, a whole jar of peanut butter on the bike as it is on your back. So yeah, that that's really interesting that, that you're able to carry that and use it. Um, geez, man, a whole guitar. That That's, that's <laughs> a lot of your bass weight right there. Well, um, so I started out with the backpacking guitars and I've gone through th- three guitars already. I just got a new one on the CDT. And uh, the newest guitar that I have is a full-size guitar because when I was in Montana coming southbound, I got swept up in a river and destroyed my Martin backpacker. And that's like a $300 guitar. You don't really replace them that easily. So went into uh, Helena, Montana, found a music shop and asked them what they had on sale. And I was able to find a full-size guitar that had been quote unquote damaged in shipping because it had a little bit of a ding on the head of it and got it for a steal and I've been carrying it ever since. Oh my <laughs> gosh, man. Well, so, so what happened with that river? I remember watching a video on your channel about that, but it, it looked mm-hmm. like it was uh could have been a lot worse. Um so yeah, it could have been a whole lot worse. And there's a lot of hype behind the video, which is great. It's it should be a lesson of you know, don't be overconfident crossing water. But um, Crash and I, we had just gotten through two of the tougher days of just climbing over blowdown trees from the start. And it had been raining the entire time. So we had six days of rain and the ice and snow from the previous winter had been melting. So even little streams were torrents just coming through. And he crossed first and made it across and was telling me, hey, watch out for this rock because it's slick. And I heard him. It registered. I just wasn't, you know, 
it's kind of hard to communicate to your feet when you're actually crossing like a raging water right. anything so took a step misstepped and then uh, if you watch the video you'll see that i was underwater for exactly a minute and got swept uh i think it was 40 50 yards down this stream and if i had gone another 15 i would have gone over a waterfall down a cascade uh, and then got caught in what we call a strainer which is you know a bunch of logs hanging across Luckily, I was able to upright myself and get out unscathed, or mostly unscathed. <laughs> Jeez, man. That probably made you think about things a little differently. <laughs> well, uh, we had to do a lot of damage control because I lost a lot of gear. We still had five days to go to town, I think. It was four or five. I believe it was four. And then my water filter got swept away. And I was missing a water bottle. Uh, lost my trekking poles. Everything was soaked, and it didn't stop raining until we got to town. So kept hiking another 10 miles that day with Crash because we had to in order to warm up and get drier and wasn't able to do a campfire because it was just soaked. It was just that rainy week where we just couldn't get anything to light. Oh, and I got it on film too. And not only that, my uh, phone camera, which I was recording on, kept recording underwater, audio and video. I was, I was happy that it did it. Wasn't happy with why it happened, but I'm. Right. Jeez. So, so was there anything that happened out there that wasn't wasn't captured on on film? Because yeah, you're right. That was uh, you're pretty lucky to be able to be rolling at that time and, and capture it all because it was intense. Oh man, uh, there's all kinds of stuff that doesn't get captured because from it's a three thousand mile hike on the Continental Divide Trail and it's a twenty two hundred mile hike on the AT. And if you film the entire thing, it takes you about six months to watch it, let alone, <laughs> you know, to do it. So right. uh, for the CDT, when I did um, the Teton Lake Solitude Descent, there was a lot of glissading that I did with Crash and one of the National Park Rangers and his kid. And we, uh, we were way off trail on a trail that doesn't exist anymore. And taking the high Teton crest route and we were going straight down. It's uh, I want to say it's a 2,800 foot descent over 0.6 miles. So it's straight down and we had to do three glissades, um, which is not the most fun to do in a kilt. And I wouldn't recommend anybody do a glissade in a kilt or a skirt. <laughs> it's like extreme sledding only without a sled. And then you're also wearing a backpack and carrying whatever else you've got. So, so, th so that's that's one knock against the kilt. Just one, though. Yeah, and I made it. And it was just uh, some pretty decent abrading that happened on my legs. But, you know, still kept hiking. Didn't make me get off trail or anything. So why the CDT right after the Appalachian Trail? That That seems like you're going from... The one with the most, you know, guides and how-tos to the one with the least. Um, so COVID helped with that because I was supposed to do the PCT this last year. Um, when I was doing the Florida Trail in between the AT and the PCT, so I got off trail, went to go look, and the PCTA had pulled permits for everybody last year and said, hey, if you don't have your permit, you can't do it. And the travel bans and stuff got really weird. So I had to wait it out for a bit. And then 
Crash and I were like, hey, we can still do the CDT. They haven't closed. They just said we have to be careful. We didn't have any symptoms. We'd be basically in the woods for anywhere from 7 to 15 days at a time. So it made sense to go up and just southbound it. So so tell us about, you know, getting ready for the PCT. What are you looking forward to? Are, are At this point, are you nervous about tackling something that big or you feel like you have a pretty good handle on getting big projects done? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Oh, um, for this one, it's just another uh, six-month day, <laughs> I'm going to say. Um, it, it's I've already done two major thru-hikes. I've done the hardest one, and I've done the longest one. Now it's time to do the one that everybody's calling the party trail, which I'm looking forward to. But um, the big thing that I'm looking at for this year is how much of the PCT is going to be completely self-sustained. Am I going to have to send boxes to myself the entire time because of how California is handling COVID. And if that's the case, am I going to be able to get through all the areas of the PCT quick enough to beat weather and not, you know, starve from having to do the same food every single week. So my biggest preparations for the PCT are mostly the logistics. I, I know that trail backwards and forwards by now. <laughs> I'm ready to, to be on it because that was supposed to be my first trail, actually. Yeah, that was the idea, was to do the PCT and then head over and do the AT and save the CDT for last. But, I mean, all three, the the first two have been amazing. Uh, the AT is definitely the hardest. CDT is definitely the longest, and it's the most brutal. I'm looking forward to getting on the PCT and seeing what kind of pace I've got on there, because I've heard nothing but great things about the PCT. You know, you, you, you mentioned that you, you are planning to share your hikes in kind of a unique way. Can you tell us about that? Uh, I, I really don't know a whole lot about what you mean by uh, the book <laughs> series that you have coming out. Can you, can you tell us what you have planned? Right. So um, hiking with Crash and a bunch of our other friends, there, there's uh, conversations that we have about how it feels like you're in a video game, like a, a, a real-life role-playing game. Because you're walking through, it doesn't feel real, or it feels like you're in a loading screen when you're climbing a hill, or it, it's, it feels like, uh, the word is simulation theory, where if the world were just one big video game. So I'm writing a book in the vein of, what if these hikes were a game, but in real life? So it's, it's a play on what real life events, but in a gamer setting because I'm also a super nerd in addition to being, you know, the, the long distance through hiker. So you're, you're a big time gamer. Oh, for sure. So, so you just don't do, you just don't play for six <laughs> months at a time. <laughs> yeah. It, it kind of sucks. Like you get to the point where it's like, man, I would love to be sitting around a table with a bunch of other nerds playing a game. But at the same time, you're in the middle of this amazing adventure anyway, and it helps to, they fuel each other. The games fuel the adventure and the adventure fuels the game. Yeah, that, that's really neat, man. I actually haven't heard a whole lot of that for, for through hiking yet. Instead of, you know, sitting around, you know, with your gamer friends, you're sitting around a campfire, which uh, is pretty cool. Not going to lie. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it's really different when you're living out like the adventuring, questing life, and you have to make it from point A to point B, as opposed to playing it out on like a video game or on a tabletop or in a board game. So, what would so, the book? How would the book differ from other books? It's not just going to be an exact recounting of of your experience. It's going to be like in the style of a video game. What what would it? What would the differences be? Well, it's still going to be in the novel format. So it's going to be, and it's going to be fiction, 100%, except for it's going to be based off of things that I've done. It's not going to be 100% real. It's not going to be 100% fiction, but it's going to be, it's based off of the fact that everything's a video game. And uh, I'm pretty sure that hasn't been proven yet. So (laughs) it's it's a fiction book. It's about uh, the video game player that takes on these different challenges and one of them has to be the AT, one of them has to be the CDT, and then uh, hopefully I'll have enough to be able to do one for the PCT as well. Oh my gosh, look at you, just going down another path that hasn't <laughs> been gone down before um, for yourself and now for, for the experience afterwards. You know, I don't, have, you, have you started writing at all? Because a lot of adventurers say that part is harder than doing the adventure itself. Yeah, I've started on those three books. I've also started on a philosophy book, but I'm not really announcing that one. <laughs> It'll come out probably under a different pen name, I'm sure. It It's definitely harder to write because you have to sit and you have to write. And getting out everything that you've experienced over a six-month period or a three-year period and putting it into words is just hard. Like There's nothing easy about it. You got to write it. Kind of like the the, 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 the mm-hmm. AT. It's like you're, you're, you're not going to get there or any of those trails. You're not going to get there by just thinking about it. You really yep. just have to keep walking. That's the only way. Right. And when you're hiking, if somebody comes by and says, hey, you're hiking wrong, you can just keep walking. If you write a book and you put it out and somebody's going to come by and say, hey, this is like the worst garbage ever. You can either take it or you can keep walking. So it's a little bit... <laughs> They go hand in hand, hiking, <laughs> of, hiking a thousand miles versus writing a thousand pages. They're about the same amount of everything that go into it, oh, the man, good and the bad. So neat. That is so cool. Gosh. So I, I, you know, I'd love to hear just maybe some advice to someone that was in your shoes a few years back, things that you've learned, things that you wish you, you know, you could have told yourself maybe 10 years ago, just um, about this new lifestyle you've discovered and, and that you're living and that you're not through with, what could you share with people that aren't there yet? Oh, man. So um, first and foremost, if you still feel taboo about therapy, there's a huge uprising in people. It is a good thing. Go to therapy. Even if you don't think there's anything wrong with you, even if there is nothing wrong with you, go to therapy. It helps to have someone to talk to just period, because it helps you put it things into perspective with a different set of eyes. Um, for me, with the hiking stuff, if, if you're not happy with where you're at and you don't like what you're doing, figure out what it is that would make you happy, what you would like to do, and do that. Figure out whatever you need to do, whether it's you know cutting out toxic relationships getting rid of extra stuff because Americans love their excess. That's just the way it is. <laughs> we all love our stuff. If it requires getting you down to just your, 
basic necessities in a backpack and going out and doing exactly what you love, then do that. Because if you're, if you're sad and you've got all the things in the world, but you're not happy, it's not worth it. You can come down to be basic and simple and be happy. Or if you want to have all the things and that's what makes you happy, then by all means, go work yourself to death and buy all the things as long as it makes you happy. <laughs> Personally, the happiest I've ever been is with the with usually in conjunction with the amount of stuff I have, the least amount of stuff I have. Um, but I can totally relate to therapy is very important. Mm-hmm. I go. Um, you, it is so important. You get so in a rut. I'm sure so many times on the trail you have had a realization like, oh my God, this trail sucks today or something's, you know, not going right. And then you just kind of zoom out and realize where you <laughs> mm-hmm. are, realize what you're doing and, and how, how lucky you are to be out there just in this moment in history, in this moment in time and, um, in your kilt and all being able to be out there and do something epic. Yeah, no, it's amazing. The, the amount of times you'll be on trail and you'll catch yourself just depressed because, it's the same thing every day and some of it does suck. And that's not something that usually comes across on YouTube is like in the amount of, you know, amazing views and great times and amazing stuff that you see. There's also that many awful things and terrible days. And, you know, you have to deal with foot injuries and, you know, leg fatigue and hunger and everything that goes along with it. And it can be both amazing and terrible but still fulfilling in the end. Awesome. Well, Nick, uh, how can people follow you, follow your journey uh, that's coming up? And when are you leaving also for the for the PCT? We'd love to uh, follow along. So um, if you want to follow along on the videos, it's uh, youtube.com slash C slash The Wandering Kiltsman. Um, you can find me on Instagram at The Wandering Kiltsman. Uh, there's thewanderingkiltsman.com, which links to everything that we have, including our store, which helps fund my way along. (laughs) If anybody wants to buy merch, please buy merch. But um, uh, I'll be leaving for the PCT in April. I usually don't say exactly where I'm going to be at and when anymore because of the people in Florida that decided to make my trip a living hell. So, (laughs) Oh, geez, man. I'm sorry. I'm I'm a Floridian, so... so apologize for um, that. <laughs> hey, there's there were some amazing people in Florida that did some amazing trail magic, but there were some that showed up that just were not cool. So, uh, me and my producers that we've decided that all of our things are delayed. So, if you go on the Instagram right now, I'm still hiking the CDT according to the Instagram. So, uh, you get to watch it unfold as it was happening uh, a few months ago. So, Oh, very cool. That's awesome. Well, then we can jump right in, right in the middle of it. Um, exactly well cool well, nick man thank you so much for being on telling your story i know there's a million stories in there i'll be looking forward to the books when they come out and uh yeah just for sharing you know your adventure and ins- inspiration and getting folks out there i appreciate it hey man thanks for having me on this is great first of all thank you so much for listening it means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show if you'd like to help us further you can leave a review on itunes share us with your friends your family it goes a long way to grow in the show you can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast link is in the show notes 
And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>